0: Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Strevans. Let's jump straight into it. Another enlightening conversation with alex sharp this time
1: yeah very interesting i mean it's fascinating isn't it that you know it's a guy that we don't know really first time we've really spoken to him and this whole movement it fits very well with where dentistry is looking at the moment especially Mm. in those other conversations we've had with other people about dentistry it's just fascinating yeah
0: i think for me it kind of gets to the underbelly around values but I mean, people listen to it in the episode, but whilst he spoke from an associate point of view, I think as a practice owner, there's Mm. a lot of things to listen about and take on board as a business owner to make sure that you're well aligned with the people who work in your business or the people you want to work in your business. Yeah, yeah.
1: and I think it's a practice principle. One of the, you know, not only do we know it's a change of environment and a change of you know, economy and a change of maybe Phoenix and a change of staff mm. and staffing levels and how to attract it. It's another change that they're going to have to look at. You know, we don't expect them to build helter skelters in the in the staff room and all that sort of yeah. stuff, but I think they're going to have to start looking at this well-being and and how do you retain staff. Mm and attract staff much more seriously than they have over the last 20 years. Yeah, tell no, you. I
0: thought the honesty he showed in talking through his own journey was, was really interesting. I think people take a lot from that episode. Yeah, I think so. So welcome to our latest episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And today we're delighted. We've got a guest, Alex Sharp, and Alex, a dentist. Alex, welcome to you. How are you doing?
2: I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out to chat to me.
0: No, pleasure. no, not at all. Looking you've, forward to it. Yeah, well, I think you've got a really interesting story to tell as well. So um, I understand you You say you you want to be a dentist from four years old, which I must admit,
1: that a seems,
0: <laughs> that's a pretty early life decision. <laughs> so you obviously, literally, you hadn't started school yeah. and you'd already decided you want to be a dentist. Do, yeah, your, why? Why? I was to say, did your parents family, give any insight? So? No,
2: no. There's no real reason. There's no. None of my family went to university. Nothing like that. There's no dentistry in the in the uh, family at all. So I don't know why. I just remember as I got older, my mum said, "You always wanted to be a dentist when you were four and we were like, wow. "Yeah, sure you do, son. Sure you do." And it's a bit random, it. isn't it? Yeah, very random. No, no reason. Did you used to look
1: like that like, on um, on your your toys when you did you like like you know like you pretend with like pretend teeth and stuff like no, that?
3: No, my parents. let me have a No,
2: my parents always thought I was going to go into engineering because I used to love connects and Lego and stuff like that, and I'd always make these right, big okay. things. But don't ask me why I decided at a very young age that's what I wanted to do. But before then, I wanted to be a hairdresser. So I think the world dodged a bullet on that day, at least.
1: Well. <laughs> i tell you what's interesting though, isn't it? That, you know, your, the bit about engineering, mm. in the fact that a lot of dentists are, are sort of almost mini engineers. Yeah. They love that sort of like constructing and doing stuff. And, and it's interesting the fact of, you know, maybe that's, that's the sort of crossover a bit that you liked building and. I think sometimes people actually say the word dentist, isn't it? It's like doctor, engineer, and artist.
2: Mm. Yeah. If they kind of say yeah, that's yeah. that
0: kind of how yeah. you almost kind of get the word dentist because there's engineering in there and there's a degree of artistry as well. And psychology
2: so and, obviously, and therapy. It's and nice, and oh, I like
0: that. That's yeah, very clever. I like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Sometimes I feel like a psychologist as well at work. But uh... <laughs> I bet.
0: So, so obviously, I assume in reality, it wasn't the four year old Alex that suddenly just held this deep felt ambition and then pursued your whole school years to become a dentist so what was the point when you decided that dentistry was going to be your your career of choice
2: it probably to be honest was that time you know I I made that decision and I didn't know anything about it obviously and I remember growing up my parents were kind of like if you really want to do this you need to start thinking about what subjects you take because those are going to impact things so then I I picked my GCSEs and then I picked my A-levels and it just sort of happened I guess I kind of set myself that goal as a kid without really realizing what I was doing and tailored my Mm. life towards that in terms of the decisions I made. Which weird. is
0: really impressive, and it, and, it, and it wasn't easy for you, was it? Because you went to Newcastle, um, and I, I see that you you failed your your finals. Mm-hmm. And we've had other yeah. very high-profile dentists on this podcast who the same thing happened to <laughs> them. Oh, they yeah, it. they they failed their finals, and in many ways, that for them. On reflection wasn't necessarily all bad news whilst it felt at the time i'm sure that the world was going to eat them up um did that hiccup coming early on in your career did you see that that helped you in some ways
2: yeah so like anything in the moment you're distraught and sh- ashamed mm-hmm. of yourself and you've let everybody down and um things like that but then i think definitely you know i went into my fd year with a totally different attitude second time round you know mm. i went into it with like complete gratitude of where i am and a willingness to give even more than i'd given before to make sure that i really just absorbed as much as i could because suddenly mm. everything shifted you know i i don't know it's, it's hard to explain but once i achieved it i was like right this is it i'm going for it 110 yeah. every every day and i tried really really hard and and i think that it's made me a much better dentist there's no doubt in my mind it's made me a better wow.
1: dentist did you have the walk of shame because these guys that we were talking to they were yeah. saying that they, they went up to the board where everybody was like passed and then basically because I didn't go to university so so they went up and they couldn't find their name on it and then someone said no you're over there <laughs> <laughs> and they were on a, they were on a different board yeah <laughs> so I remem- went, did you have the same thing
2: yeah similarly so I remember they brought out this massive piece of paper they blue tacked it on the wall and I scanned down the name and I saw the other I saw shreve and then I thought normally on all the exam I'm, I'm after shreve there yeah. was uh sorry before she there was no sharp in there and I thought and I just had this realization of going shit i failed. And then I looked up from the board and the fifth year was looking at me and we looked at each other and he came over to me and he said, should we go for a walk? And I was like, oh my God. And there was just, and it was really weird because beforehand, all the clinicians are there and they're all going, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Don't worry. But and most of them knew that I'd failed, you know, because they all know before. Oh no, out. really? So yeah. I thought it must be awful for them to be like, yeah, you'll be fine, Alex. You've got this really knowing that I haven't. And uh, so it was awful. And I remember... <laughs> I went upstairs because I was pretty close to the lab um, team at the university and I went up there and I spoke to some of the lab people and some of my friends were with me and I remember I just cried um, just constantly and I remember because the window was open and I could hear uh, the dean, Jimmy Steele, giving like a big speech of congratulations and success to all the students and I could hear it through the window and and everybody was clapping and cheering and drinking Prosecco and I was upstairs crying like, oh wow, this is... You know, in the moment, it was obviously awful, but on reflection, it's like, well, that made me who I am today. So,
1: Yeah, perhaps you must have galvanised you to sort of like go, yeah, yeah well, sod it. You know, I, I blew it on there, but mm. I'm not going to blow this year. And mm. as you say, sets you up really, doesn't it? And also there's a life lesson that,
0: that you're right. In that moment, it feels like, could there be anything worse? Yeah. And then you realise that as the, the hours and the days and the weeks roll forward, it's just a little bump in the road of life. And I think for lots of people, they get so caught up in the moment and think it's it's the end of the world and you know there there is something the other side and you're a great example that you know you obviously reset your, mm. your final year and, and you qualified and
1: and now you're a dentist and so it's it's all doable but in those moments it's hard and defining moments aren't they you know that defining moment of out of adversity because you could have said i'll oh, sod it i'm mm. not gonna do it anymore but mm. you didn't and you know that i think that that builds us into what we are quite mm. often
0: and also being able to advise other people i'm sure you've shared this story yeah. a number of times and talked to a number of you know people either dentists who are doing you know postgraduate qualifications or younger people um, and i bet it's been it's been great for them to hear your experience as hard as it was for you mm. to give them the confidence to push on mm.
1: Out of interest, Alex, did it have, you know, when you were applying for FD, did it have any impact on applying for FD or did no one really care that you were, you know, this was your, you've done it on your second attempt?
2: No, it, do, it doesn't matter. It doesn't Brilliant. matter. And interestingly, when I remember when I was applying for associate jobs, I was very open about that, um, either on my CV or just in a conversation with the practice owner. And I was amazed at how many people failed their finals that, you know, yeah. Just don't talk about it or um you know, fail the finals and then go on to do great things and, and so I had this stigma of like shame and guilt and then it was instantly just taken away from me because I thought most of the people I liked and respected mm. and loved had failed as well. So it didn't matter.
0: Mm. But the bottom line is you're either qualified or you're not. The pathway that goes through before yeah, kinda of never yeah. really gets talked about, does it? You know, you you, you just get that, that qualification. So you qualified and then I think quite remarkably, you worked in eight practices over a four-year period. I mean, man, that, you must have had a car or a train pass or something. You were moving around an awful lot. What what led you to move so often and, and what did you learn from those experiences? Because... Many dentists don't work in that many practices, even through their career. And mm. quite often we talk about people who buy a dental practice quite young. They might own that practice and, and work in a single surgery for 12, 15, 20 years. So what did you take from that experience of, of working in a number of different practices in very quick succession?
2: I mean, it's a, it's a really great question. And, you know, you don't have long enough is all I'm saying, but I'll, I'll try and be <laughs> as brief as possible. I, I think that for me... I, I learned an infinite number of things, and I would I would probably broadly bring them down to two things. I learned more about my own values, and I learned more about what who I am as a person and what I need in order to be happy in dentistry. And I also learned all of the things that I don't like, which kind of sounds like the opposite side of the same coin. But I mean that from a from the perspective of going when I own a dental practice, which is going to happen. Um, I know all the things that I'm not going to do um, and all the mistakes I'm not going to make. Uh, So I took away huge amounts of personal sort of insight and development and then huge amounts of insight into the future as well about what I'm going to do. And ultimately, those negative experiences that I had, because, you know, I left those practices for a reason, um, helped guide me towards the journey that I'm on now and helped to almost be the fuel for the fire of my vision that I have now in dentistry. So again, looking back, it feels weird at the time, but trying to practice a lot of gratitude, you know, and, and to say, look, these things happened to me, but I'm not going to mm-hmm. dwell on them and get angry. I'm going to say, right, well, what can I learn from them? This is just stage one or stage two of my personal evolution. So what can I take from it positively speaking, and then look back and be grateful to those people Um, who (laughs) kindly provided me with a certain set of experiences and say, thank you, because of your actions, I'm who I am today. And I am happy and Mm. proud of who I am today. So I have to then be grateful for those things
1: that's that's really good actually one of the things we say to people we say you can learn a lot from negative experiences mm. of you know we, we we talk about managers you know you can learn a lot from bad managers as much as you can learn from good managers and in, and in a way they as, as you quite rightly say it's a great way of looking at it is you're mm. you're grateful for that experience it might not have been so great at the moment when you were going through it but actually out of it you've learned I don't want to be like that.
2: Mm. And this is one of the things I try and, you know, and I'm speaking to, to associates who are, who are going through hardships and or perhaps looking to make changes. Um, you know, I always try and tell them that, you know, just don't be angry or bitter or resentful. Just, just say, look, this happened. And what are you going to do to prevent it happening again? What have you learned? And you might not believe me, but in a year's time or six months time or two years time, you look back and say, you know what, that experience shaped me. Mm. and so i have to be grateful mm. for it
0: and the thing is if you're angry and bitter the only person that affects is you mm. because the other person's moved on in the majority of cases or, or they may not have even realized that the impact they had yeah. on you mm. because they were just going about their their way of doing things which didn't meet with your own values but that's how they operate so they didn't see they did anything wrong whereas you're looking at it and you're like well that i'd never behaved like mm. that so you carrying that round is a weight on your shoulders on your shoulders alone, it's not affecting anybody else. But for you it obviously got quite hard because you got to a stage where you almost were giving yourself an ultimatum as to whether you were gonna leave the profession or not. So how did that how did you get to that position? How did this kind of build up where it just felt such a negative experience mm. that you were thinking, is dentistry for me? And then was there a kind of a turning point, a moment where you thought, actually it is for me and I need to change the way I think. Mm,
2: great question. Again, I mean Essentially, yeah, there there was that point, that tipping point. And I think that I, I reached a stage where I had one particular experience, I won't go into it in too much detail, but I was um I felt huge amounts of blame for being the person I am, for having the values I have, and I sort of started to think that I was the problem, you know, that I had these unrealistic Mm -hmm. expectations that what I was looking for didn't exist. I just have to compromise and suck it up and that's just how dentistry is and all these kind of things. And so I felt like this problem child that that had a cv longer than anybody that suddenly all these practice owners are going to go come on alex you're telling me that you're not the problem whenever you know all these other practices are the problem and not you so i kind of reached a stage of thinking wow you know i'm going to eventually not be able to get a contract with somebody because people Mm. are going to think you're just a flaky dentist or you're just a hassle Mm. so I reached the point where I thought well I have to make this work for me but I didn't know how because I tried all these different practices I've worked NHS I've worked privately I've worked in cosmetic practices I've changed cities three times I've done split days six days one day in a practice you know I've tried everything and everything and I just I, I could never make it work for me and at the time I didn't know why and so I reached a stage of going I can't make this work for me and I don't see any prospect of things changing and I think that was the Mm. the nail in the coffin because I lost hope I thought I don't Mm. feel any hope that my personal situation is going to get better because I felt that I almost blamed the world and said the world needs to change to accommodate me which was quite a selfish selfish outlook Mm. and I didn't see that happening so I thought do I continue down this kind of emotionally self-destructive path continuing to flirt with different practices to try and find that elusive Mm. right practice or do i just Mm. say well actually it's been a ride thank you and i'm going to cut my losses now and let's look at alternatives um Mm. and and i think that once once where i work now i've been here for two years now the longest i've ever worked in well nearly two years in august the longest i've ever worked in a practice is a year so this is like a personal best for me. So, you know, to be to be in a practice for that period of time is rare. And, um, you know, I said to my partner, because we both moved, she left her family, left her friends, left her job, we moved house, you know, for me, you know, to try and make it work. And I said to my partner that if this practice where I'm in right now doesn't work out, I'm done. I am done with dentistry mm. because I've tried everything and I didn't, feel that there was any chance of things changing so that that for me did, was the tipping point
1: and and is the fact that you're rare is is that mean that in a way you've maybe had to do some compromising on where you wanted to be thought you know or have you actually looked at it now and said well actually you know this is this is 95 percent okay <laughs> so therefore that, that maybe the five percent that you were that you thought you wanted or whatever, you've now decided that actually that, that I can do that if I'm going to do my own practice. But at the moment, this is a, this is a good position to be
2: in. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, obviously, you know, in the politest way I hope the practice owners don't, don't look on this too negatively, but um, yes, you know, there's always a compromise, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a realistic mm-hmm you know, individual that understands that perfection doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a construct, right? So I understand that. And there is a degree of compromise. And I think that when when you asked me that question about what did I learn, and I said values, I learned not just what I value, but like the priority of those values and what am I willing to compromise on? You know, for example, honesty is my cornerstone. And mm. without honesty, I can't build trust. And if I can't build trust, I don't want a relationship with somebody. So, so for me, if I worked in a practice that was dishonest, There was no i was never going to compromise on that and i'm gonna walk away Mm -hmm. so it it kind of just depended i guess um in this practice i'm happy to compromise definitely on on a lot of the things that aren't like negative enough for me to walk away however i will be honest um because it's my core value and i will say (laughs) i will say that realistically what keeps me in the profession now is not the practice where i work it's my bigger vision for dentistry is what gets me up out of bed in the morning. So Mondays is the day where I spend doing it. And my other four days I work in clinic and my Mondays is the best day of my week. You know, I love hmm. this stuff and I love what I'm trying to do. So so if I didn't have this, I I do honestly believe I would have left dentistry two years ago. Yeah, wow. Which is,
0: I mean, you, you you talk about you got involved in a community about building wealth and got into property, but you said that didn't serve your values. And you said a minute ago about, you know, you're quite sort of selfish and, and looking for yourself, but you've obviously got great self-awareness now because you've worked out what your, your values are and, and what's important to you did you know those before you went through this experience in dentistry or was it, was it as a result of some of these negative experiences that you took some time out and reflected on what was important to you and established what your own value system looked like?
2: Mm, yeah, I, honestly the latter. So I didn't know everything about myself and I think most people don't. When I started to learn yeah. more because the community that I joined, I networked with various individuals and one of those individuals became my business coach who helps me with this whole vision. And you know, we spent about twelve months literally just thinking about vision, values, purpose, goals, forming habits, mindfulness, affirmations, gratitude, all this kind of stuff that people consider to be a bit fluffy and a bit wishy washy, non-tangible, mm-hmm. is the the infrastructure and the foundations on which I have then understood myself. And I've 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 recently started to articulate it that I can I sort of realized that I can only understand my external world after I understand my internal world. So I spent so long understanding myself and it's amazing how much you can learn about yourself from somebody else that just asks you questions. You know, I, I couldn't just sit down and think, hmm, what are all my values and things like that. I, I don't think it's necessarily as easy as that. You need somebody to, to guide you along that path, to ask you the right questions, to bring that information out of you because you do know but it's in your subconscious and you just need to pull it from your subconscious to your conscious so you become aware of it. Mm. And once you become aware mm. of it, then you can start to use your values list as like a filter for everything that you do, for your behaviors, for your decision-making, mm. uh, for how you would, would interact with other people. Everything becomes filtered by your values and that, that kind of is what guides me. But if I didn't understand that at first, which I didn't, I only found that out by going through these experiences going, this annoys me, this upsets me, but why? What is it mm. about this person doing this action or having this behavior is, is, is upsetting me. And, you know, I'm not afraid to say I've had a therapist in the past and I still have a therapist for, for various things. And to me, a therapist, a business coach, a PT, all these different professions all serve the same purpose of kind of guiding you through a journey that you don't know how to navigate yourself. And they almost hold your hand and clear the path a bit for you and say, look, why would why would why would I want to travel this journey on my own when I can use the experience of somebody else? And every single time, mm-hmm. I've I've learned from they've sort of taught me what not to do and not to make their mistakes, right? By carving through a path to some extent. And so, what I've tried to sort of think about is that that for me, if I do that, it just it makes the whole personal development process so much more. Um, uh, fun it makes it easy and it gives me clarity mm. and it avoids me getting frustrated and angry and confused so so going through those negative experiences just to bring it back to the question going through those negative experiences helped me refine it helped me answer those questions that i had when i worked with mm. a coach and when you see it in black mm. and white it changes everything because you you but know it's it funny,
0: but it's funny what you say yeah but it's funny what you say about you know, you, you listed off kind of a PT, you know, a personal trainer, a business coach and a therapist. But people are so happy to talk about having a personal trainer to work on their their physical, mm. um, you know, uh, abilities and their physical health. Whereas, as soon as you start moving into a world of coach or therapist, people get a bit shy and a bit awkward about it. But surely health health, yeah, Physical mm. and mental health is all joined up. We spoke to Mara um, the mind ninja, a little while ago. She was talking about mindset and, and behaviour and, and health generally. And the sooner we can get it to a stage where people are happy to talk about it in the same way that they're proud to go to the gym three times mm. a week. yeah, we're, we're on the right path, aren't we, of, of where we need to be. I, I know that you've actually started a, a Facebook group, haven't you, to help people. Around kind of mindset and how they think, and trying to create a, a forum and environment for people to perhaps speak more openly about this. And I guess that's based out of your own experience.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, my when I look back and I reflected upon the whole situation, I thought to myself, "Well, what I what I failed to assess and what I failed to understand was firstly who I am, and secondly." how I use the knowledge about who I am to find the right practice for me and if I sort of mm. trim away the fat it comes down to values it, everything comes down to me everything comes down to values so so if I know my own values and I can assess the values of a dental practice and if I know that there is an alignment then I believe that it will be brilliant that's what we need we need a practice that aligns with the associate and we need the associate that aligns with the practice and there's no system out there that addresses that issue it's all a bit well go for an interview look at a very wishy-washy job advert that all reads the same get nervous and sign a contract straight away because you don't want to lose out and then what happens is this is the classic situation three month honeymoon period three months trying to address underlying issues and not being successful notice period, in three months later, you've left. So that was my typical nine-month journey, which is why I never lasted more than 12 months. So hmm. Just
0: stop in there, Alex. Just pause in there. So do you think that your experience is fairly typical, but what lots of people do is they have their three-month honeymoon period, three months of finding out the problems, but then they just suck it up and get on with it? Do you think there's a lot of people out there that are just accepting something that doesn't meet their values or by their own measurement is mediocre, hmm. but they just don't have the cojones they don't have the whatever it is within them to actually make that decision to move on and find
1: something better Mm. or the understanding or appreciation probably yeah
2: i i I do i do but if you asked me about six months ago i would have said probably not but but Mm. when i created the group i tried to network with as many people as possible because i felt so alone and so isolated and i looked at some of the other groups Mm. and you know, nobody was posting about it really. People that were posting anonymously, there was mixed advice, there was
0: um there's a piece you were saying about where you've got um associates that kind of work in a practice, that three month honeymoon period, then three months when they kind of work out that things aren't great, and then you then decided to leave. Do you think there's a number of associates out there in a situation where they've had that three month period where it's not perfect? um but they just stay they just kind of accept the situation they're in and they're not particularly happy with their lot and um, perhaps it's a bit mediocre but they never get to that final stage where they move on do you think there's people out there like that
3: i think there's lots of people out there like that and you know i created the group to to sort of provide an environment for the associates to talk about it because i i initially thought that i was alone and that you know like i said before i was this problem child but I realise lots of associates go through it, but they don't talk about it. We're not very aware of mm. it because there is a bit of a fear culture in dentistry where associates are very nervous to talk about their experiences and practices. Um because they're worried it's gonna paint a target on their back and affect their, you know, sort of future career prospects. And People sort of think there's this little, you know, there's little circles of practice owners with a little billboard of names on, you know, and you get added on this list. And, <laughs> and but but that, that's the culture, you know, right or wrong, that, that's the thing people think about. So, you know, one part of creating the group was to, um, you know, provide basically just an environment where other associates that have had a bad experience can share um, their, their, their journey and their stories, but also learn and grow. It's not like a moaning society, you know, we're not all in there just whinging about practice. Mm. You know, um, don't get me wrong. There are a few, you know, emotional people, but but on the whole, it. I want the groups about empowering people. It's about enabling. Um, it's about enabling dentists really and associates to understand themselves uh, first mm. of all. And like I say, once they understand themselves, they can understand what they need to, to sort of have mm. that better life in dentistry, which is what I'm trying to cultivate. Um, there's so mm-hmm. much mental health well being issues. The statistics for drop out and you know consideration of suicide is is, is staggering and mm. you know i i don't want dentists to go through the journey i've been through reach the stage of burnout reach the stage of wanting to quit dentistry because this is part of the problem right you know there's multi it's multifaceted why people are burning out and leaving uh you know i'm under no mm. illusion however associates not working in the right practice is a huge part of that for a, a chunk of the workforce, you know, the majority of us are associates, not practice owners, and I think that you know we need to find a way of aligning the associate with the practice owner on a values-based system. And my uh, sort of goal really is to is to create that system um, to address that underlying issue, so that we can start to reduce the numbers, those horrible statistics you know, and Mm. and help with this sort of crisis because Mm. there's lots of stuff going on in the profession right now. It's all over the media. And I'm sort of, Mm. you know, past me that thought, oh, I've got no hope, there's no change. Is coming back again and going, well, what is going to change? Because I don't see anything changing. And I don't feel Mm. that we're we're sort of aware of it. And we're going, oh, it's terrible, you know, burnout and recruitment crisis. And we're all doing podcasts Mm. about it. And we're talking about it at the Birmingham NEC. But I'm thinking, who's doing anything about it? Who's taking charge mm. on it? Who is, mm. who is, you know, we're just kind of being ambivalent and just saying, oh, it's terrible. But anyway, let's talk about composite. Um, it would mm. be
1: interesting, won't it, whether with the, uh, you know, the hard uh, options it is to try and recruit associates now, whether that in a way from a reverse way will make principals have to look deeper into the recruitment and employment mm. of the associates, if they've got, you know, if there's a groundswell of uh, disaffected or, or associates who want things to work in a certain way, and maybe in the past, the principles have not been particularly um, thoughtful on that aspect, then the fact of it's probably going to have to be Part of maybe the recruitment process, mm. as we're seeing in lots of other jobs, isn't it? You know, yeah. You, you, and, this whole w- mindfulness and well-being mm. is becoming part of the job, really. And, and I think it some of it might just be. Yeah, you know, we
0: have this whole thing that if if people that work with us, it doesn't work out. We take the view they just they're just destined to be happy somewhere else. It doesn't mean they're bad people. Mm. It just it just didn't it didn't mm. work out for us. And I guess. What Chris was saying about that, if you've got practices where there's an awareness in the practice as what their values are and what's important to them, that would then make it easier for prospective associates to align themselves with that practice, which
1: actually is good for everybody. It's because a bit like... A- Like Tinder for dental practices, you know, practice owner and and an associate uh, associate matching society. exactly. Because
0: you you do want an environment where it it works for everybody and and there will be the right place for everybody. But I guess your experience shows that you kind of have to work through a number of places to find the, the right environment for you. And whilst I think there are bad associates... There are bad principles, yeah. and there are good associates, and there are good principles. I'm not saying you put the bad associates with the bad principles, but I think you need to understand <laughs> what you're getting into. You need to know yeah. what that operating environment looks there, like. There
3: needs to be there needs to be a way of assessing people's values, and there needs to be a system that can, you know, align them together. Like I say, because not every practice I've worked in is bad. Do, you know, don't get me wrong. Mm. There was one or two that are absolutely awful, and I'll leave it at that. But, you know, I'm not saying every practice that I've worked in is bad. That's not the case. It's just the values were different. There was a value mismatch and I couldn't make that work for me. So I had to leave. Hmm. So it's about having a filter for the associate to say, this is basically what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for four days a week for 7,000 UDAs at 12 pound UDA. We ignore yeah. that. That's the kind of negligible stuff. What's really important is the values. And that's not what is on the job advert. Those are the things that are not really proved. And there's a lot of associates I've spoken to say, I went to an interview, they told me everything under the sun. And this is my experience as well, by the way, you start working there. It's nothing like what they told you. And they take advantage and they lie to you and they cheat and they deceive. And that is a big problem because associates that I speak to are like, Alex, it sounds all well and good finding the right practice, but how do I know? And I'm go- but that's just mm. not but
0: that's just not smart business because no. the person's going to, you know, uh, one of the great things about dentistry is that on the dentist side, everyone's minimum degree educated. So they're smart people, smart cookies. So if somebody sells you a load of baloney and you turn up and that doesn't meet with your daily experience, there's going to be a disconnect and you're going to move on. Well, I so, think the
1: problem that Alex is saying is that they then have a fear that they don't. It's a bit like um, you think the number of people who will moan about their solicitor to Frank Taylor Associates but won't say it yeah. to the solicitor because they're worried they're going to be painted in a certain picture and I'm assuming that it's must be similar. It, it must so be like you say it's, it's that whole debate
0: around having an open culture but they're going to have to change as a profession, they? Well,
1: if they want to recruit people in a in a tight recruiting right. environment if they get a reputation for a bit of a mm. bunch of cowboys or whatever it would be interesting but interesting. Th-
3: this, this is the thing I don't want it to be like a name and shame thing you know I, d- I don't want I don't want anything like that. I don't think that's the right way to go about it. I think I think there needs to be a way of assessing a practice because that's the most complicated thing, Um yeah. a practice. And the, the problem with this, and this is a very unpopular opinion that I will probably get a lot of flack from, but I'm not afraid to say it, that we are, as dentists, highly skilled, highly knowledgeable individuals in a tiny niche area of medicine, and we know bugger all about business and we know bugger all about all the things we should know about management and leadership and all these things. And so there's a lot of dentists who own practices and sometimes not even dentists, dental therapists, dental nurses, you know, the own practices that have learned nothing about business, that there's no requirement mm-hmm. to know anything about a business. You just buy it and it runs itself because in dentistry, we're very fortunate to work in an industry where the demand mm-hmm. is infinite and it's automatic. If a lot of these practices I'd worked in, in any other industry, the businesses would have failed, you know, because they were useless. Mm. And they were useless because they don't know anything about business. Now, is that their fault? Mm. Not necessarily, mm. because the universities don't teach us these things. However, I think it's mm. the responsibility of the practice owner to go on some sort of course and or, or have some sort of training. And I reckon there should be some sort of requirement because some of these practices could be great. And it's just because the people at the helm just don't know they know dentistry. They don't know anything else. And so they sort of fumble their way through. And the business always makes enough money to give keep them happy, yeah, right? Definitely, yeah, definitely, But it, it could be brilliant. It could be so much better. But it's not. they don't realize the potential. Um, mm-hmm. And so dentists will go and dentists will join. And dentists will go and dentists will join. And as long as the business is ticking over, until we start to see practices absolutely closing down completely, then we're in mm-hmm. a real problem. But I don't think it'll ever get to that because, like I say, is this automatic? I
0: think, I think the simple economics of a dental practice work quite well. So you don't need to know an enormous amount about no. business for it to work. Your no. technical experience and the support of your colleagues is, is enough to get by. But I no. guess where you're at, as you're saying, there's a difference between it being an amazing practice and a, and a mediocre no. practice. And in the defence of you and your, your dentist colleagues, it's not your fault. As you as you alluded to, dental school doesn't teach anything about business and as a patient you know I really want you to be a good dentist I don't really want you to know about spreadsheets and the difference between leadership and management that Mm. doesn't really bother me as a patient however as a dentist either as a self-employed associate or as a practice owner it's really important you do understand those things. So you're right. I think it, there is a responsibility on dentists to go and source this information. That's themselves. The skill
1: themselves, yeah. yeah. yeah I, it's interesting yeah. you Especially say that. with HRs, people dealing with people. Oh, yeah.
3: yeah, it's interesting you say that as a patient, it, it, you don't really sort of need to know that, oh, it doesn't really impact you. But it would impact you if there was never a nurse to work with the dentist because the practice culture was terrible. Oh, then yeah. people were leaving and you had a new dentist every six months and you know, the dentist booked you in for treatment, but actually it was on a different day because the receptionist got it wrong and the dentist decided to call in sick because their mental health is so down the pan, they just decided they're going to cancel their day, which happens all the time. Like, so it mm. does have an impact on you, just not directly, it has an impact on you indirectly. And mm. this is why, you know, we've got this crisis in dentistry. Why, you know, it's not, an, right now it's not really an attractive profession to go into. Would I do it again now? Definitely not. You know, there's no part yeah. in my mind I wouldn't go into dentistry again. And it's, mm. I always have these uncomfortable conversations with patients where their kids talk, oh, my kids think about being a dentist. And I'm like, mm, about that, you know, I, I I don't think it's a great industry, but it can be and it should be, you know. It mm. really frustrates me because it has, it, it should be an amazing industry, but mm. it's not right now. And, you know, just, mm. it's obviously multifaceted. I'm not going to, please don't get me wrong and think I'm saying it's all practice owners obviously there's loads of stuff like litigation nhs contract you know there's various causes but this is just one of them and this is one of them that Mm -hmm. i'm addressing you know Mm. Uh,
0: yeah and yeah i think i think you're right i think there needs to be changed i think it needs to be addressed i think it's just a a massive multi-layered issue that is going to take a while to work its way through the profession, and there's got to be a willingness of of everybody involved Everyone in the profession to participate and yeah. change, want yeah, to change. and genuinely want to. It's meant like, like Alcoholics Anonymous as well. Yeah, so you
1: yeah. have to acknowledge it before you can change
0: it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What, what What would you say is the one thing that that you figured out that most people haven't? Is it Is it around values? Oh,
3: good question. Um, I think so because if I if I go up to people and I say give me your top three core values or your th- number one core. Val- people don't know. People say, well, what's a value? Or they say like wishy-washy things and people don't really understand. And and to me, that's an individual that doesn't understand themselves. So mm. when, I, when I see these dentists that are unhappy, I, I sort of try and have a bit of a conversation about values with them. And mm. people don't know themselves. And I think, well, you can't be happy. If you don't know your values, how can you possibly be happy because you don't know what you're looking for? It's the same as not having a clear vision for mm. your life or a clear purpose yeah. or clear goals. You know, um it you know, the, the greatest analogy I've ever heard for this is like a sat nav, right? So if you've got a sat nav and you're driving in your car but you haven't put a destination in, how the hell do you know where you're going? How do you know if you've overshot your mark? How do you know if you how far away you are? How do you know how much fuel to use? When you need to stop and take a break. You know, it's no wonder that we're burnt out and lost and confused because we're going 100 miles an hour in no particular direction and we've, we've got no way of assessing if we've achieved our goals. So how will we ever feel happiness if we've never achieved what we set out to achieve? And so yeah. loads of dentists are lost because they don't, don't yeah. get me wrong, there is an issue with practice owners, but there's a huge issue with associates as well, not understanding mm. themselves, not understanding what they need. And, the, you know, the, the the group that I have is part of a larger um uh, sort of vision that I have. uh you know, I've created an association for this sort of purpose, really, as, as well as various mm-hmm. other things. That is, you know, where right now we're helping to target associates to to help support them and make the changes to address the issues. But you know, there's other mm-hmm. issues at stake that we're going to address as well. So I think mm-hmm. that, yeah, it's 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 values, but I think it's kind of all of that stuff. You know, what I would call the fluff. You know, the values, vision, goals, all mm-hmm. purpose. The stuff that we kind of go, ah, eh, don't worry about it. I can't see that on a spreadsheet, on a bottom line. doesn't affect my profitability, yeah. so I'm going to leave it alone. Um, and mm. I think that we need huge amounts of personal insight, huge amounts that we don't have. I think mm.
0: what's great is that on the one hand, it's saddening and disappointing that you had such a, a grim experience in the early days and it, it drove you to work this stuff out for yourself. But then as a result of that on the positive side, as a result of that, if you can then – help uplift and empower and educate and inform mm. other people in the profession so they don't have to go through the same problems that you did so they get a better outcome for themselves mm. quicker then good's going to come from it um and i, I think it is it obviously happened fairly quickly for you and i imagine it's probably it happened some conversations yeah though. it's probably happened for other people but they just haven't channeled it and harnessed it in the same way that you are You've um, accepted it yes yeah they they they're, they're, the they're just in the that changes, round of it's the acceptance yeah, isn't it exactly to. exactly it's been a fascinating chat we could talk all day Alex I, I find this whole topic fascinating and and from this what i hope is that the listeners kind of go away and they think about what's important to them mm. you know how they run their own life the sort of practice they're yeah, in where definitely. they want to be in that yeah. practice and and hopefully we can kind of shape a, a better looking profession in the in the future it needs to change yeah. yes
1: otherwise it's going to be in
0: trouble and it yeah. <laughs> and it
3: well you're right you're right and and that's kind of it feels weird to say you know That my role in this, I guess, is is like as a leader, and that feels very uncomfortable to say because I'm not the sort of person that tends to consider themselves like that. But my job, my role, how I consider my responsibility in this, and I do consider it like a personal responsibility to the profession now, as opposed to it was a nice idea. Now this is, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a lifelong vision I have. This isn't just targeting associates. This is dental practices. It's manufacturers. It's couriers. It's logistics. It's 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 everything you know everything needs to change and we need to really work together but my role is to is to create more leaders if that makes sense is to turn every associate into their own to become a leader Mm -hmm. to turn the practice owners into leaders you know in maybe a different way than they're accustomed to and that's why i've created an association which is designed to help with these things you know and Mm -hmm. it's and it's, it's there's like this big master plan at play. You know, I'm not, I'm not just some, some guy with a chip on his shoulder that just wants to fight the system. You know, there's, there's, there's a huge master plan in play here. Designing for the last 12 months. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's about three things really, you know, the, it's about the the professions, the professionals, and the profession on the whole. It's about the patients, and it's about the planet. You know, mm. we haven't touched on it today, mm. but there's a huge. What's environment. the
1: association? Do you want to give it a plug, so as if people are listening, they can yeah join your Facebook group, or whatever
3: it is. Yeah, so so the the Facebook group itself is called Dental Disruptors, and that's that's the that's the Facebook group. It's just for associates. The actual association, so so Dental Disruptors, is a part of the association. It's it's one of the ways in which it's helping. Um, the association is kind of the beating heart of everything. And the association is called Careful Healthcare. And I'll send a link which people can, and um, people that aren't practice owners or um, or other organizations, because I went to the Birmingham NEC and spoke about this there to people. And there was a lot of support from other organizations and associations. So if anybody else wants to to find out more, I'll send a link where they can drop their email and I'll keep them updated. Yeah, well,
0: we'll put it in the uh, episode notes as well. Yeah. So people we'll, can yeah. click click directly through uh, I mean I wish you all the best with it it's it, it like you say it sounds like this is really important to you um, and it's mm. going to be something that I think it's going to feature in your life in your career for, for a long while mm. yeah it's
3: an infinite goal it's going to go on after I'm yeah. dead you know
1: brilliant yeah, like good stuff.
0: We, we always finish up with the same same two questions, Alex. We always ask our, our guests just to get insights. And I'll um, be intrigued. Be, to see the answers. yeah beyond beyond kind of the you know, the, no the day pressure. job that you do. So, if you could be the fly on the wall um, with somebody in a certain situation, when when would that be? Who would you be looking in on?
3: This, yeah. I Promise it's not arrogant, right? I promise it's not arrogant, but it would be the very first date with my partner seven years ago. Because we always look back and we always try and remember what the conversations were that we had and and try and like we sort of joke about it and I'd love to go back and listen to how embarrassing I was, how cringy I was, <laughs> all the inappropriate things <laughs> that I said. I just I would love I'd love to go back and listen to it. Then I can fly back, buzz back home and say, This is what we spoke about. This is how embarrassing we both were uh,
0: but it worked. Yeah. What however embarrassing it yeah, was, it, it obviously worked. wasn't that bad. No. <laughs> <laughs> you got a second date. Yeah. 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 And and then our our, our second question is if you could meet
1: anyone, who would you who would you like to and meet? And this is dead. Yep. Dead, living, fact, fiction, so anybody you can think of,
3: really. Yeah, it's been said before, so I, I feel a little bit bad not being original, but I had to be honest. Um so it would probably be Elon Musk. Um, and I know it's very unoriginal, but I, I would love to sit down with him and just talk about my big vision for dentistry and healthcare on the whole and mm-hmm. just see what he thinks, you know, what he would suggest. You know, I, I'd love the opportunity Woody to pick the brain of, something, <laughs> of, of somebody like that. You know, I think it would be a real great opportunity.
0: No, I agree. I mean, he's a, he's a big thinker and whilst we might think that we we kind of have, have ambitions and yeah. big ideas the stuff that he's done and yeah. the stuff that he's going to probably do in the future he's on a, on another level so now yeah. that would be that would be very interesting Lovely cheers, Alex. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been, it. I, I think it's been fascinating. I think your the amount Yeah, the amount you've kind of experienced in a in a relatively short career is is enormous. And if you know people listening to this can take something from it, regardless of where they sit in the mm. profession, like you say, as a provider, a partner, a clinician, a practice owner. Um I would hope that people would be able to take something from it and incorporate that into their own lives. So, no, we really appreciate your time today. It's been great. No, I really
1: enjoyed
0: it. Thanks. thanks Very useful. Yeah, lovely. Cheers, Alex. Keep well. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That
1: would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.